0: This is the ministry from Sovereign Grace Reformed Church in Tiverton, Devon, United Kingdom. Well this morning I want to speak from Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29 which reads, Is not my word like as a fire? saith the Lord and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces so I want to speak on the fire and the hammer of God's word in this verse the Lord contrasts the false words of the false prophets um, with the true message of the true servants of God. The false prophets of Jeremiah's day, as, as is true of our day, spoke out, spoke out of their own hearts rather than receiving prophetic words from the Lord. There are many false teachers today, tele some of them, and other prosperity gospel preachers. Who preach comfortable words. They promise protection and they promise prosperity from God. They say that no evil will come upon you without any authority from God to say such things. This was a problem in Jeremiah's day. He said in chapter 8 and verse 11. For they, that's the false teachers, have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace peace when there is no peace that's a sort of preaching which contains no message of repentance that requires no turning from evil now repentance of course is different than penance and We have to be careful how we preach repentance because we can easily drift into preaching penance. We don't offer anything to God uh, as a reward for anything. But the true preaching of the gospel is demonstrated by the Lord Jesus himself, who said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. But there were false teachers in Jeremiah's day who spoke only comfortable words and left people in their sin. They may have been um, emotionally affected. They may have been even comforted and encouraged. They may have even received that slight healing which Jeremiah speaks of in chapter 8. But there was no salvation in it. There is no salvation experience. There is no transformation that comes from the new birth. You see, false teachers tell the congregation what they want to hear rather than, than what God wants them to hear. And eventually, the people become so used to hearing comfortable words that they won't tolerate any more. True message of God's Word. This was prophesied by the Apostle Paul when writing uh, to Timothy For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So this is the great contrast between the true word of God and, the fo- and false teaching. The word that comes from God tells the truth about you and I and it tells the truth about God. False teaching is just a fable. It's a lie. Uh, and like the telling of a good uh, fairy story, it sends all the children to sleep and it leaves them all tucked in to their lusts and their sins, totally oblivious to their true condition before God. God said in Jeremiah 23, 21 and 22, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied, but they... But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Instead of taking counsel from the Lord through his word, the Bible, they rather would speak of their dreams and prophesy lies. And the people... And this is true often today. Are deceived. And they're left starved. Of the true nourishment. That comes from God's true bread. His true word. Verse 28. It says what is the chaff. Compared to the wheat. Says the Lord. There's no nourishment in the chaff. That's just the dust that comes off. The wheat. It's. False teaching is just like eating dust. It's light, it's fluffy, uh, but there's no, there's no goodness in it. There's no nourishment from it. There's no depth, no substance, no goodness compared to the wheat of God's word, which can feed a um, human soul. And so, the false teachers, um, the false teachers preach chaff. There's no substance and their message is light. It's all about dreams and feelings and lightness of heart. There's no gravity, there's no sense of God's honour. And their dreams cause people to forget God, Jeremiah writes. Verse 32, God says, behold I am against them that prophesy false dreams saith the Lord and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness yet I sent them not nor commanded them therefore they shall not profit this people at all saith the Lord you see these are the sort of preachers that were going around in Jeremiah's day um undermining Jeremiah's true message from God. That because the people had sinned and because the people were living in sin, God would withdraw his blessings from them and the nation would face famine and starvation and then invaders would plunder them and finally they would be taken captive into a foreign land. That was the true message of God. From Jeremiah... And it's in this context that the false teachers would rather speak comfortable words. And it's in this context that God, in our text, gives this analysis of false prophecy and the true description and the description of the true word of God. And he does this in the form of a rhetorical question in order to make the contrast dramatically clear. He says, "Is not my word in contrast of course to the false word? Is not my word like as a fire saith the Lord verse 29, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces?" What a difference. In great contrast to the superficiality, the falsehood, the likeness of false teaching, my word, says God, is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. In great contrast to the weakness of false teaching, my word is as powerful as a fire and as a hammer which strikes the rock. The difference is, as God is saying, is that unlike the false teaching, my true word has a real effect upon the human soul. When people come into contact with the comfortable lying fables of the false teachers, they're left in their sin, they're left unaffected. But when a man comes into contact with my true word, it's like coming into contact with fire and it's like being pounded by a hammer. What a difference. When God says people come into contact with my true word, they're not left in their sins and their lusts, they're utterly changed. There's a transformation. And you know, that's really my one and only point in this sermon today. Is is this, in the form of a question to you, is have you ever really, truly had an experience in your life when you have come into contact with the Word of God in this real way, in this way in which you have come into contact with the fire of God's Word and the hammer of God's Word? It's no use saying, um, I think so, or I, I may have done so. Do you know, if, I, if you burn yourself, even if it's just with a match, when you're lighting a fire, you know you've done it. You, there's no neutra- neutrality. You know you have con- come into contact with a flame because it hurts. If I miss the nail that I'm hammering at work and it goes on my thumb, I know about it. And um, Lord forgive me, sometimes everyone else knows about it too. Because it hurts. I know I've come in contact with that, that hammer which has come down upon me. Do you know, have you ever really been changed by God's word? The true gospel, you see, is like a fire and like a hammer. The authentic word of the gospel is not to be compromised because it is God's fire, it's God's hammer upon the human soul. That's why Paul said, Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The word of God, the Bible... This, this book we're holding. If you're really touched by it. It will actually transform your life. I don't mean the Bible in the sense that it's a part of your book collection. Gathering dust on a shelf. I mean if, if, if this word of God touches your life. It will be like coming into contact with fire. And being pounded by God's hammer. It will actually transform us. That's what it was like for Jeremiah. Jeremiah said that his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. That's what the word, the word of God is meant to be so deep within us that um, you know, when we say something's got into our bones we really mean it's, 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 it's we're, we're obsessed by it. It's almost possessed us. It's eaten its way into us. It's part of us. It's got into our bones. And I ask you today, has God's word ever really got into your bones? Is it, is it that deep? Is it burning in you? Or has it got no deeper than your ears? It may have tickled your ears from time to time. You may have been very impressed with a sermon, hopefully more than one, one or two, but that's all it's been. You've just, you've just enjoyed it. It's tickled your ears. It, it may even have encouraged you, it may even have comforted you, it may have stirred you, it may have inspired you, it may have made you feel slightly guilty about some things in your life, it made you feel awkward at times. It may have even given you some hope. But is it deep down, now, the passion of your life? Is it, has it got into your bones? You see, that's what it was like for Jeremiah. It was burning in him. So God uses uh, many symbols in the Bible to destruct, describe the The character of His Word, the Bible, and every single one of them emphasizes the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, is meant to have an impact on a human life. The the Bible is never meant just to remain an external, academic, or literary book, which we admire on our bookshelf or even study as we would Shakespeare or some other work of literature Peter compared the word of God to milk milk for a baby as newborn babes he said desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby do you know babies I'm talking about little babies have one track minds don't they Mm. they've got very few interests in life it's just milk That's all they want, that's all they dream about, that's all they long for, is milk. And if they don't have milk, they will let you know about it. And you know, we are meant to have that intense, overwhelming, obsessive, one-track desire for God and his word. Paul compares the word to meat as well as to milk. Uh, he says he, to the Corinthians that he fed them with milk and not meat because they weren't ready yet for solid food. But either way, milk or meat, it's something that we're to take into ourselves, to drink and to eat and to grow thereby because it gives life. The Holy Spirit in Hebrews 4 compares the word of God to a a sharp two-edged sword. That's the Roman sword. Which discovers our true desires and thoughts. Elsewhere he calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. This emphasises that this word of God pierces into our lives pierces into our motives, shows us who we really are. Again, it's not something we're going to forget. We will know if we've been pierced by this word. James wrote that as a mirror reflects how we look on the outside, God's word shows us how we look on the inside. It reveals our true condition. Has that ever happened to you, dear friend? Where you've looked into this word and it's shown you what you're like inside. It reminds me of those horrible images, particularly of soldiers in the First World War, the Great Wars it's called, who, who had those awful facial burns. And, and for the first time, they, the nurse will unwrap the bandages from their face and they will hold up the mirror and this is the first time that they will see the extent of their disfigurement and they look into the mirror and they see what the the burning has done do you think they're ever going to forget what they've seen? do you think they're ever going to be unaffected? that's the effect this word of God should have upon our soul we look into this mirror and it shows us how sinful we are how lost we are how polluted we are how much we need to be saved it doesn't leave us unaffected it just doesn't leave us with a tickled ear it doesn't give us entertainment amusement just comfort it's something much deeper than that difference the lord jesus and his apostle peter compared the word of god to a seed that is sown in people's hearts peter called it imperishable seed in the good soil the seed is truly imperishable you can't destroy it you can't destroy god's word in good seed, in good soil the weed killers of doubt the weed killers of despair the weed killers even of disperse, of persecution can't cut it off It can't get down to the root because the root is in God. It's an indestructible life that's placed in a human soul. And there is always a harvest of righteousness. It's not the same harvest for everyone. Some people have a harvest of 30 fold, some 100 fold. It makes no difference because God is the husbandman. He's the gardener. He decides on the size of the harvest but it's a good seed and a good heart. The Bible is likened by Peter to a light shining in a dark place. It is like he says, uh, to the dawning of the day and the morning star rising in a believer's heart. You can't can't miss that, can you? You can't be in a dark dungeon as, as Charles Wesley wrote in his hymn. You can't... Be in a dark dungeon and and the room flames with light and miss it. You know that the light has come into your life because you've come into contact with God and his word. There's a flaming with light when you were in darkness and now the light has come. King David said the word of God is more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold sweeter than honey and the honeycomb for david the word of god for all his wealth for all his status for everything that he that he that he had was more precious than everything my point and and i overdo it my point is this is that all these symbols of the of the word of god drive home the point that this word of god the bible is designed to get into our bones it's meant to impact us affect us change us transform us it's meant to be eaten and consumed it's meant to be our greatest treasure it's meant to be our true mirror like mary it's a it's a sword that should pierce our own hearts also and in our text today the lord gives these two further symbols To describe the character of his word he says it's like a fire and it's like a hammer firstly then looking at this uh, verse 29 God's word is like fire is not my word like as a fire saith the Lord you know, the, the Hebrew word for fire here in this text is not some weak um, little flame, it's the same word that's used in Amos chapter 5, verse 6, which says, Seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. That's the same word used in these two verses there's another one in Ecclesiastes 2 it was only used th- three times in the Old Testament God's word in other words is like a fire that breaks out and spreads and cannot be quenched you know pe- people in, uh, in uh, the western United States and um, most of Australia, a lot of Australia, they know all about this, don't they? They know about this property of fire, how uh, like these wildfires can spread. Sometimes it's some fool dropping a match, or sometimes it's done deliberately, uh, but often it's just uh, nature. And these wildfires will spread just from a little flame and it's almost unquenchable even on a more modest scale where we live in Exmoor you know there's a problem on the moors where we have these moorland fires and whole areas can be destroyed you know the bible God says is like one of these wildfires His author of course, the author of the Bible is God the Holy Spirit who appeared to the disciples on the day of Pentecost in the form of a cloven tongues like as of fire and sat upon each one of them. So the author of this fiery word is the Holy Spirit who appeared to, the, to those disciples in the theophonic form of fire. and god gives this image of a divine wildfire that that first begins in the upper, upper room and then they start preaching the the wonderful works of god in all these different languages as the spirit gave them utterance and the word spread not only to jews uh, <clears throat> but god-fearing parthians and medes and elamites and visitors from mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, the Bible says, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, even Cretans and Arabs, and the, they all take this message back home to their home countries, and this word of God is spreading like a fire. It's spreading. This is the character of God's word, different. My word, God says, is like a fire. We think of it, we think of the the words of the martyr Hugh Latimer who said to his friend Nicholas Ridley as they were both about to be burned at the stake outside Balliol College in Oxford he said be of good comfort Master Ridley and play the man we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out and it hasn't been put out has it as, as low as the flame is in this country it's still shining it's still burning and as long as the fire doesn't go out you can always revive it <clears throat> you can't put God's word out because God says my word is like fire the point is The point I really want to make to you today is that God's word, this Bible, is meant, it is designed to have a fiery effect on your heart. To become a Christian is to be touched by fire. Because as the prophet John said, he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Well, if that's the ministry of the Lord Jesus, which it is, to baptise you in that way, then has that happened to you? Have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost? Have you been baptised by the Holy Spirit and fire? That's what Jesus came to do. We know that because that's what John, his forerunner, said. And if you touch fire, or if fire touches you, you know it. God's word, like a fire, will have a fiery impact on your life. It will burn into your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, your memories. You will be touched as by fire. To become a Christian and to be a Christian means that you accept the authority of God's word in your life you accept its power over you and subject yourself to its transforming power the writer Solomon in Ecclesiastes said where the word of a king is there is power saw that some of that yesterday didn't we if King Charles fancies a a cup of tea he has no trouble getting one does he he probably just clicks his fingers he get whatever he wants a cucumber sandwich or whatever where, the, where there's a word where the word of a king is there is power and one word from our king one word from the king Jesus will utterly transform your life That's, I think this is why God uses this image of fire. It's the ultimate symbol of power. It's the only, because it's the only way, God chooses the most powerful thing in nature as the symbol of his word because it's only the most powerful thing that is sufficient to change your heart and mine. Because we're so deep in sin that it's going to take a miracle to change us there's only one way a sinner can be changed it's by the very power of God there's no power within you or me that can deal with the wretched condition of our hearts we need the fire and the hammer you see the subject the subject of the sentence in this this verse is the rock the hammer and the fire are impacting on the rock what does the rock stand for? Well I think it's meaning it's really symbolising you and I and our human hearts. The hearts of men are, are naturally like rock and only the fire of God's word can dissolve the hardness of a sinful human heart. Our hearts in the beginning in Eden were were soft they were sensitive they were malleable to god's word we naturally responded to him in obedience but because sin entered into the world our into and, or, and entered into the human race and because of our individual record of sin we have become as hard as rock to god as dead as a rock and as hard as a rock to god and sin after sin after sin makes us just that little bit harder to God that's why it's important to come to Christ as quickly as you can as young as you can because sin adds up it hardens you it gives you that hard crust of of stubbornness against God and we become like the people Zechariah preached to in Zechariah 7 where it says they refused to listen they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear yea they made their hearts as an adamant stone lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets therefore came great wrath from the Lord you see they sinned so much that their heart became like adamant stone and our hearts um, outside of Christ are hard they're stubborn they're at enmity with God and we're also not just hard we're also polluted we're also filthy by nature before God we are polluted by sin and even even us as even the best version of ourselves is still filthy in the sight of God Isaiah said it best it's never been improved in chapter 64 he says but we all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags the human heart needs something so powerful so purifying that it can melt the hardness and it can purify away the filth. And the only thing that's going to do that is the fire of God's word. The fire of his gospel. The fire of God himself. The transforming message of the Christian gospel. Heat from fire if hot enough can even dissolve rock. And metal, the hardest things in nature can be melted by fire and God is saying that my word the true authentic word of God is able to melt the hardest of hearts and burn up the corruption of the chiefest of sinners dear friend if you want to be free of your sin today if you want to to have a clean heart before God and I believe people do want at least some people do want a clean heart. They're sick of themselves sometimes. Some people are ashamed of, of what they've done and they, they would love to be able to turn back the clock and, and wipe away the the, uh, the, the the search history of their life and make it clean. I, th- I think some people are like that. But you know, if you want that, There's only one place to go, and that's God and his word, his fire, because it's only God's word that can purify your life. When the word of God gets into your life through the new birth, when the word of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire blazes in your life, your life will become purer and purer as time goes by. The psalmist wrote about the impact of God's word, even upon a young person. And when you're young, um, you have all sorts of um, hormones and things going through you, which which can be overwhelming. All sorts of temptations, which which is you know they are not these are not easy things. How can a young person live a clean life? Well, David starting Psalm 119 says this wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way how can a young person walk in holiness with all that temptation with all those things to do with all those bright lights to see all those attractions that you've never yet tasted how can a young person keep clean he says by taking heed thereto According to my word. It's the word of God that will keep you clean. Dear friend, what's your heart like this morning? Is it an unconverted heart? Is it a seeking and inquiring heart? It's possible too. Is it a desperate, even a despairing heart because God has has spoken to you and you really want this but you're not there yet. You haven't got that conviction that you're saved, that you know Christ and your heart's despairing. Is it a backslidden and a defiled heart? You know full well what I'm saying is true but you've gone off in some side alley of sin and you've quite enjoyed it. And you think, well, I'll just stay there for a bit. I'll come back to the Christian life in a bit. It doesn't work like that, dear friends. The devil's too deceiving. If you've gone into sin, you need to flee from your sin and come right back to Jesus Christ. Is it a cold and a lifeless heart? There's only one place for you to go. It's through come back to the word of God because your heart needs to melt before God and you need to be washed clean by him our saviour spoke of the cleansing power of God's of his word he says now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you you see where the word of a king is there is power there is his disciples and he speaks his word to them and they are clean only Jesus can do that his word washes sinners and his word is here now of course i want to briefly just finish this by saying not only is god's word like a fire it's also like a hammer is not my word like as a fire saith the lord and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces this symbol of god's word also emphasizes It's powerful effect upon the rock, the rock of the human heart. This hammer of God's word is so powerful it can break the rock into pieces. Sounds a bit frightening doesn't it? But you know our only hope of eternal life today is for God's word to come down on us and break us into pieces so that God can build us back up again into the person that we are meant to be. Our hearts by nature need to be subdued and the rock broken into pieces and only God's word can do that, only his hammer. Paul speaking of the word as a weapon said for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need that. By nature, we're rebellious sinners. We've exalted ourselves against God, and we need to be subdued by Him. You know, I don't believe that God will force Himself upon us, Um, we have to come to Him. And we have to be, as is often used in Paul's epistles, we have to become Christ's bond slave. The bond slave was someone who was a slave, who then had the opportunity to be free, but chose to stay with his master, because he loved his master. And he became a bond slave, he became a willing slave. You see, God doesn't make us slaves against our will. We have to be a willing slave. A bond slave. Our hardened consciences need God's hammer. Our ignorance of God needs to be penetrated. Our rebellion needs to be subdued. Our stubborn wills need to be tamed. Our trust in our own strength. And in our own righteousness needs to be utterly broken, and God's hammer is the only thing that can do that. We need to decrease and he needs to increase. We need to understand that it's the those who are poor in spirit that will see the kingdom of God. Not the self-contained, not the self-sufficient. Not those who believe themselves above the need for Christian salvation will be saved. It's for those who are broken by the hammer of God's word. Do you know, the one thing <clears throat> that needs to be dealt with in every single person who wants to become a Christian and be a Christian is pride. Pride is the is the um, original sin of Satan. It's, it's pride that will eventually cast Satan in, into that eternal hell, that eternal lake of fire. And it's pride that is the root of all of our destruction. Unless it's broken in our lives, we'll end up in the same place as that ancient prince of hell. But God will come to anyone... Who truly comes to him in humility to anyone who says Lord I believe in you and in the salvation that you offer in the Lord Jesus your son I know now that I cannot save myself and I therefore throw myself upon your mercy and upon the work of the cross of your son I believe you save sinners and I truly am a sinner Lord, save me. I know next to nothing about the Bible yet, but I know that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't really know what that means completely, but I believe it and I throw myself upon your mercy. Lord, I come to you now. Pass me not. O gentle Saviour, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by any prayer along those lines and God will save you. Jesus Christ will save you. That's that's a, a guaranteed promise from the Bible. The true Gospel, the true Word of God is like a fire that melts and a hammer that breaks the pride of man. And the Lord Jesus, my friends, he came for the broken hearted. He came for broken people. The gospel only really makes sense to the broken hearted, actually. Isaiah said, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, His name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. And revive the heart of the contrite ones. Elsewhere he said, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and have a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Not not the righteous person, not the not the man with a clerical collar who thinks that he's above all of this. No, to them to the to the poor desperate person who knows that they have been broken by God's word and they know their life is is in bits before God and they need to be mended they need to be washed that's who Jesus Christ comes for dear friend your heart might be hard today but the Lord Jesus can break your heart he can melt your heart the Lord said through ezekiel a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you and i will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and i will give you a heart of flesh the cold cynical disappointed hard heart can be warmed by god's word those disciples utterly distraught utterly depressed utterly dejected in in luke after the lord jesus christ had died they knew this fire that day when our savior beginning at moses and all the prophets expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself they said did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures the, the rabidly proud Pharisee Saul of Tarsus had his religious pride broken and he considered himself in the end the chiefest of sinners. His heart was melted to the point where he could talk about the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The impetuous and overconfident Peter could say, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Even the mocking thief upon the cross, hardened by a life of crime and wickedness, was melted when he heard the dying Saviour talk to his heavenly Father. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Even the Roman centurion, a highly trained killing machine for whom a non-Roman life meant nothing. He would just snuff it out. Even his heart was melted. When he saw the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and heard everything that he had said, all his sayings, how he suffered, how he died, And he said, certainly this man was a righteous man. God's word is a fire and a hammer. That famous hymn. Give me a sight, O Saviour, of thy wondrous love to me. Of the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. Then melt my heart, O Saviour. Bend me, yea, break me down, until I own Thee Conqueror and Lord and Sovereign crown. I think, brothers and sisters, in view of the time, we're going just to end with a prayer. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Teverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.